Well, 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 welcome back to Living by the Word Ministries presentation of the Bible Information Brokers. We're going to get to the callers and the Facebook questions and email questions that we may have, but right now we want to do something that's super, super important. We were talking about it on the other side of the break, a question about the unpardonable sin. We talk about belief and things like that. I want to read one scripture and kind of tee it up for Professor Hawkins to talk about this subject in an expanded way. And we were talking about this in church in 1 Corinthians one twenty one. The scripture says, For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to have those who believe. It's like God took preaching or like the, or the, or the heralding, the kind of like you run around there and just say something very passionately and pronounce it from an authority. He took that that style of communicating his word, his gospel. And PCH, in, in that, what they, they're calling, calling the, the, the folly of this, it's not that preaching in and of itself is folly. It's just the idea that um, amazing that God will use this format to communicate something as serious as one's eternal life and then let us participate in that uh, folly, as it were. Yes, Daryl, it really is. It's interesting. I'm, I'm teaching a class this summer, and in fact, we're dealing with atheism and humanism right now. It's actually a class on the law, but it deals with uh, philosophy and ethics and medicine and so on and so forth as well. This has always been a kind of a big issue for me uh, because I, I had struggled at one time. I thought basically the only people who were uneducated and not, mm. and not very intelligent were Christians. Mm-hmm. And, in fact, I've been I've been a professor. This is my, I'm on my 34th year since my first graduate degree, and I've got multiple degrees from some of the best schools in the world. I'm just being blunt. Some of the best schools in the world I've attended, graduated with honors, and philosophy and other areas. And I've seen this type of hubris, this pride, and I've been humbled myself. And the idea that I'm just too smart. The, the, only a nincompoop could believe this stuff. Only a simple time. Well, really, my friend, you know what? Figure this out. You're going to die. Have you dealt with that? Uh, you can say whatever you want. You can do try from philanthropy to, to education to earning degrees like trophies or or you know sports or se- sexual drug issues, whatever. Do whatever. You're not going to find happiness and fulfillment. I'm not trying to smack you, but there, there's a point of where it needs to be a reality check. Kind of like going to a doctor. You get your middle ages, your middle age or older like we are. And you're not all that. I'm not, you're not a spring chicken anymore. You got this blood pressure issue. You got this cholesterol issue. You know you can't you can't avoid these things. And so, people need a reality check. The reality is people are empty. They're looking for purpose, meaning, significance in life. Maslow called it a hierarchy of needs. The Greeks called it eudaimonia. The Bible calls it a personal relationship with God. Mm. Life in that more abundantly is only is only found. And I know it's zero, and and banal and trite, what have you, but it's life, eternal life, life that's worth living here and now, and for our eternity is only found in a personal relationship with God. But we, in our wisdom, you know, we think we've, we've got the answer. I mean, look, a lot of my colleagues have two, three earned doctorates, not honorary doctorates, earned doctorates from some of the best schools like Oxford and Cambridge and others, you know, in the world. That's uh, a lot of my buddies. That's the world I move in and have for over three decades. But I've never met anybody who's that smart, mm. including yours truly. None of us are that smart. But there is a God who's that smart, who made us, who knows what brings meaning, fulfillment, 
contentment, true identity, what it's all about. And that, my friend, is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, infinite in wisdom, power, and majesty and glory, has condescended to have a relationship with you and to me, to allow us not only to not spend eternity separated from him because of our stubbornness, because of our rebellion, because of our sinfulness, which is an old English term but a contemporary concept, because of our rebellion against God, for those who trust in Christ, we can have eternal life. And God not only forgives us, but adopts us into his family and and. And we pass from, the Bible says, from death to life, just like you said you needed a, a, a heart transplant and you were going to die in the next week if you didn't get it. And some surgeon who's the best in the world not only consents to give you the surgery, the heart transplant, but has the heart provided and pays all your expenses. That and more is what Jesus Christ has done for us, for those who trust in him, who believe in him. I'm not saying he'll make your life easy. I'm saying he'll make it fulfilling and purposeful and be regarding the truth. I know, I know our culture debates what is truth. I've had a philosophy classes just on the concept of truth and differing views. But here's what I know. You know what truth is because when someone lies to you, you know what that is and you know you don't like it. My friend, don't try to lie to God anymore. Admit you're messed up like the rest of us. Admit you're broken like the rest of us. You're not perfect. Ask God for forgiveness. Humble yourself. Acknowledge your need for him and thank him for what he's done and you will be changed, and your life will never be the same. Sex, drugs, rock and roll, mm. anything else you want to put in there, not going to fulfill you, not going to bring you contentment and happiness. Joy, peace, and righteousness, some joy, something better than ha- mere happiness, is found in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior now. Wow. PCA, you just reminded me when you said sex, drug, and rock and roll, my granddaughter and the oldest one is dealing with things in life that's very difficult at this time. Keep her in your prayers. Just if you want to remember anything about the easiest life, just remember the grandchildren, uh, specifically 10 of them, in your prayer for me. And she wrote a song and sung it. I just happened to listen to it today about can God love a bad Christian? And I think you guys may have even heard it or played it or whatever. But in there, it talks about sex, drugs, and rock and roll and the things that we do and how the Holy Spirit, and I was just writing about that today and talking about it in regards to how the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin and then what the Holy Spirit does for the believer and how we, uh, even in Lawrence's uh, um, question in regards to the, the the lessening power of the Spirit of God being manifested, but as you said, it's manifested in different ways, but not as bombastic, if I could, uh, as back in the days of... Um, you know, walking through waters and spreading out the seas and things like that. But nonetheless, the Holy Spirit is going to continue to do his job for the unbeliever in the world and the believer in particular. And we need to get on board and we need to stop resisting. We need to st- we need to start yielding to the Spirit of God. And if you are an unbeliever and heard what Craig said, and that move upon your heart is not by any mistake at all, that's the Holy Spirit working on you to convict you of the sin that you're dealing with so you can come to a saving knowledge of Christ. PCH, thank you as usual, brother. I appreciate that, man, as always. And the listening audience, you should definitely appreciate it and share, share, share with this, 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 this pearl of great price that we have in the Holy Spirit and the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
888 is the number, 888 Call Eric right now. to ready to receive your phone call, everybody, and everything else. As far as the formats, is Bible Info Brokers. Bible Info Brokers, join us with a question, Facebook, email, tweet us a question, or even messenger us a question. But let's go. Let's go back. Actually, before go we go back, we didn't, Robert asked, uh, I forgot part two of his question. Oh, yeah, Rick Warren, Rick Warren that. situation. Yeah. yeah. And, and I want to say this, hopefully Robert is still listening. So I have no ill will towards, towards Rick Warren. I think he's done a lot of really good things and some things I really disagree with. I think it's the legacy of all of us, Robert. Uh, we, we can respect pastors and, and Christian leaders, but our allegiance ultimately, is, as I know yours is, is always to God and Him alone. And so I was actually at the Southern Baptist Convention, and I actually heard Rick Warren speak, and I know what part of the controversy is. Part of it is what you said, that he, in, in his retirement, he's ordained a couple, and he's ordaining women as basically as pastors and trying to make a distinction between the office of pastor and the function of pastor. And with all due respect, that's completely illegitimate. That, that distinction he's making does not get around this issue. And so he, Saddleback is a member of the Southern Baptist Congregation, and they're disobeying the the Baptist uh, faith and message, the, their confessional statement, and their practices. So, I mean, that's why is he why is he doing that? I know he thinks it's a good thing and should go that way, but it's in direct violation of, of the, the views of the Southern Baptists. And so, and also, I mean, I'll be honest. He said he wasn't going to defend himself. I was there, and I heard him. I was right there, and he, but he did, and and that's not the issue. Again, I think he's done some things that I can appreciate, but there's some things that I would disagree with. And he he claims he's he's trained 1.1 million pastors, 1.1 million pastors, and basically, and he, of course, the heads of the the presidents of the various seminaries, almost all of the. Se- Southern Baptist seminaries were there, and leadership, what are called messengers, people who were delegates from their various congregations, not always but often are, are, are you know, pastors or deacons or what have you, or various fellowship. But um, at any rate, um, you know, that's just, a, that's just an outrageous claim. I don't think it's true. I'll be blunt. Look, he's not trained them like they've trained pastors who go three, four years of uh, schooling. Yeah. Now, if you want to call them pastors and that, and has he trained people? Yeah, I'm not doubting that. But literally 1.1 million people, he made a number of claims that, to be honest, I have real trouble with. I don't really believe they're, they're really reflect the actual case. So, you know, it's nothing against him personally. I, I mean, I appreciate many things about him and his vulnerability and his transparency in many issues. But like his claim that he's trained more, and he, he basically threw it in their face. He said, he said, uh, you you know, I've trained more pastors than all of you. He's like, really? Seriously? So, these are your... Pers- this is your Parthenian shot. These, these are your final words to to the the conference, and perhaps for period. And then another thing is he took a shot at Calvinists. He he said, and a lot of you don't even believe Christ didn't die for everybody. And it's like that's not the message of reconciliation. Now, okay, he's not a Calvinist. So knock yourself out. That's his prerogative. But to pick a fight like that, to make such a flippant comment like that, it would use. He's basically said. I, I was at lunch and I wrote a love letter to you guys. Here's my probably my final con- comments ever at an S- 
Southern Baptist Convention. So here it goes. I wrote a letter, letter to you, and frankly, he attacked over half of the, of, of the folks, including the Calvinists and all the seminaries and whatnot. And I'm like, you know what? If that's the way you want to go out, that's not my idea. If that's his love letter, I'd hate to see his Dear John letter. <laughs> um, so I'll leave it at that. Well, yeah, you, that's why yeah. people are upset. Well, I think you can leave it at that, but I'm going to ask a quick question just in regards to a logical fallacy that we deal with. I think I don't know what the, how you, what the logical fallacy is, but it's an idea that if you do all these things uh, because you have a million things, people you trained, or a million things you did right, I'm um, just going back to any kind of witness stand, any kind of form of evidence. Once you're impeached by doing something that is right but doing it the wrong way, that you don't get credit for that. You don't take credit for that just because let's say if you train one million females to be pastors, well, is that, is that something to be um, not bragged about? Is that something to be said? That Well, I can come back to you and say, you know what, you did one million things. That is a good thing as far as training pastors, but you did it the wrong way. It's not, that's not God's order. So, well, come on. My, my issue is... First Timothy's pretty clear, apenteo, to usurp authority, to exercise authority on one's own behalf. So the pastor says, well, she's not the head pastor. And in this case, now that here's the argument. Well, she's, she's not, she doesn't have a title pastor, just a function. Look, those, those distinctions are illegitimate. There's a saying, a distinction that is no distinction. No, that's called S-I-N. That's called disobeying scripture. Right. And, and, and so, I mean... And then to say you literally, the male or female, trained a million point one pastors, with all due respect, no, I don't believe that. Okay. That's not true. Not, and not in the sense of the SBC is talking about it, a standard MDiv degree, three years, right? Some schools it's a four-year degree. I mean, I mean, come on, folks. Let's be honest here. I, I Look, I've been in ministry for 40, over 35 I think about 40 years, been a Christian for about 45, 46, 7, what have you. But here's my point. I've heard a lot of exaggerated claims. I've heard many Christians who really did some great things. I'm not disputing that. But then they exaggerated their credentials. They exaggerated mm-hmm. what they've done, their travels, how many times they've spoken, you know, whatever. You know, if, if I say I've traveled all over the world, that's not true. I've been a lot of places. I have, but I haven't been all over the world. You're not I've a globetrotter. You're not a globetrotter. Countries or whatever. <laughs> yeah. but, you know, but, but but my point is, come on, let's let's be honest. Let's be let's. We do not bring God glory by exaggerating. If I say, "Well, I'm a former Hell's Angel," well, I wasn't. That's not true. <laughs> so don't say stuff like that, and don't say that. Oh, look, I've, I have, I've been teaching as a professor, this is my 34th year. I've trained a lot of leaders, but, I, but if I said thousands and thousands and thousands, that's an exaggeration. Maybe dozens and dozens and dozens. Okay. I can't even say, say hundreds. So let's, let's just be honest here. Let's be real here. Let's not exaggerate. I no. mean, I'll be honest. I think, I'll, I'll try to stay away from this, but I think of... Um, Robbie Zacharias, who had a lot of exaggerated claims. Early mm-hmm. on, I go, wow. He said some things, because I have a background formally in philosophy and that. I'm like, wow. He said, well, I said this to my dissertation committee, and they liked it. And I'm like, if one of my students said that, I would kick him out of the class and give him an F. It was an incredibly bad argument. And then he, he exaggerated. I mean, don't do that. Just speak the truth. Give well, the glory to God. 
And, and you know what? Truly, truly, let your works, let your deeds defend you on the day of the judgment, the Bama seed of Christ, Second Corinthians 10, 5, 5, 10, excuse me, 7, 8. Let, let God defend you. Let your works speak for you. But this exaggeration stuff's got to stop among Christian leaders. Well, I tell you what, what I won't exaggerate is and give you some kind of order of where we're going to take the last questions of the day here. Vicki, I'm going to get to you uh, momentarily. Dave, you called back from last week. I'm going to get you right after Vicki. Then we have um, Johnny and Mike uh, from Facebook and the caller is talking about the, um, well, not Johnny, but Phil and uh, Mike is talking about Roe versus Wade. We're going to deal with that. And, and Johnny, we're also going to get about the inspiration and authority of Scripture momentarily. So, folks, if you want to join in, you have questions similar to theirs or if you have your own questions, call in right now. We have some open lines at 888 Everything else is Bible Info Brokers, Facebook, email, tweet, or messenger us. But right now, let's go to Vicki in Los Angeles and say, Vicki, thanks for holding on and calling in. Hello? Hi, Vicki. You're on with us. How are you doing? Thanks for holding on for us. Well, yeah, yeah, no problem. Thank you, yeah. What's your question um, for the night? Yeah, my question is, why... Do you think that people, when you leave their particular church because God told you he doesn't want you to sit under false doctrine, that people immediately assume that, well, you know, you backslid. You're, and I understand people's concern. I would be sad if somebody wasn't concerned. But, you know, um, but, but immediately assuming that we backslid or you, you know, you're not right with God, you know, you're doing something wrong or whatever, but people don't really... They don't know, but they assume stuff. You know, I don't understand that. Go ahead, Brian. Well, that's always an issue when people <laughs> assume, and and that's where I guess questions come in as well. You know, uh, when if 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 I left the church and someone was assuming it was because of X or Y or Z, you know, my I would have dialogue with them and uh, ask them why do you think why do you think that why do you think X why do you think Y why do and let them know the reason that I did leave. So it would be, you know, just give clarity to stop the gossip, to stop. And it, it's funny because, you know, you find that in a lot of, not just Christian churches, but just in, in, in businesses and on, on teams, on, uh, in organizations, you, you have the gossip and the rumor mill starts. Mm. And, you know, it's something where uh, it would just, to me, they say, hey, what's the issue? Well, I'll Here. say this. I, I got in much trouble with many of the hierarchy in my family, many of the hierarchy in churches. I've seen one of the, the one of my pet peeves is, is strictly, don't you dare come to me and ask me about anybody else unless you went to that person first. People yeah. who right. know, people who know me, and so my my concern is always, how did you get any information? If you talk fast like I do, you may have said something to me. I'm not going to hold it against a person. Uh, uh, you know, everything has a caveat to it. But on general terms, if you have not spoken to the person, sometimes you hear me say it on here, if you have a problem with a church or with a person or a pastor, my question is when you went to that person, when you went to that pastor, when they talked about it and it came up and it was a problem with you, when you approached them, what happened? Oh, I didn't. Well, that might be the good thing to do. Now, we're on the radio, so we're going to address the issue. But in general, my general life, folks know better to come to me with anything unless you talk to that person. PCH. No, you guys covered it. <laughs> well, there you have it, Vicky, and that's it. I mean, so the thing that Brian was saying in particular about people going to assume everything, so I would just simply say this, not only to you, Vicky, but everybody. Don't let people treat your ears like they're garbage can. 
you know, your ears Thank are not you. for that. And, you know, protect your ears, protect your heart and those that are around you. And then take some responsibility saying, I hope that you're not doing this with anybody and everybody else. So please go back and talk with that person, whoever it is you're dealing with, and get back with me. I'll check with you in a couple of days. Something along that line to get people to stop doing all this gossiping. And But we really appreciate mm-hmm. your phone call. Excellent, excellent question, Vicki. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Brian. No, Darrell, I remember you used to say that Whew. all the time. Years ago, I mean, it was like, Nonstop, and and it's important because it, it stops the gossip, and you know it, it. You know, someone comes to me and says, "You know, so first thing I say is, you know what? Let's pray for them. If it's, yeah, let's pray for them. Okay. Secondly, uh, if there's an issue with it, like you said, go back to that person and say, "Did you talk to so and so about whatever it is?" And it just cuts a lot of the garbage out. You know, it's not because of my history and past and a jail, working in jails and things like that and seeing people killed for less than that because of some noise or some gossip or some stuff that people are spreading around. The word of God is real clear on how to handle that. Matthew 5, Matthew 16 or 18, I should say. And just the, the common sense of keeping it between you and that person. And then if you need some uh, some witnesses, then in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word can be established by following simply God's ABC in this area. And I really wish we would do that as a church because we look so, so dumb not doing that. And dumb as being nice. So what is that Nimkin Poopers thing that you were talking about, Craig? Yeah, like, you know, someone comes up to you, Daryl, and says, hey, did you hear this about, you know. Folks that even halfway know me and see my face will never do that again. Anyway, let's get back to these phone calls, guys. Let's go to, um, you know, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a question from, um, let's deal with um, Johnny. Johnny wrote in Facebook, guys, um, uh, this is an interesting question. What was the ancient Jewish view of the inspiration, authority, and infallibility of Scripture? And then what resources would you recommend on ancient Jewish bibliology? I think he's saying bibliography or bibliology. Um, it says bibliology. Yeah, bibliology. Okay, I read it right. At least I thought I was fumbling with my words. You know, I always say some words sometimes. Yeah. PCH, what say you? Well, sure. There's different views. I just said there were different views in rabbinic Judaism regarding the Messiah, the Mashiach. Somebody would be God divine, and somebody at least would be a great leader, ruler. Um, but uh, a standard view, though, and I'll give you some resources in just a moment, um, would be that the, the, typically the view was that they held the, the Tanakh, uh, excuse me, the Torah, the first five books of the Pentateuch, those were considered uh, the most inspired, the, the Word of God. And then they tended to have lesser views of other sections of Scripture. So the highest view was held for the Pentateuch, the first five books uh, of the Bible. And, and now I'm not saying there weren't scholars who held to the inspiration and, and, uh, of the entire Tanakh, the term for the entire, what we call the Old Testament, but it, but part of the standard, the majority view off was that it was made, it was basically the first five books, and then as you go through the, the, the prophets, as you go through the, the poetry, wisdom literature, like the Book of Solomon, uh, Psalms, and, and what have you, uh, a lesser level of inspiration. Uh, but um, the books on this, I mean, even just standard Christian work still deal with the Jewish view. I mean, I think of Walter Kaiser, who was a phenomenal sc- Christian scholar, was a real Old Testament scholar. But, for instance, the book A General Introduction to the Bible, some of my standard go-to recommends, A General Introduction to the Bible by Geisler and Nitz. 
G-E-I-S-L-E-R, that's Norman, and William Nix, N-I-X, an older book, but it's still good, and there are whole chapters on the Old Testament and and its development and Jewish views on it. So there's several chapters on that in Geiser. Uh, there's a book called How We Got the Bible. Uh, it's another phenomenal book uh, by Geisler on this whole subject. The whole book is on these type of issues. I think of Reinventing Jesus, even though it's about the historicity of Christ, it's also about the historicity of the Bible, including the Tanakh, the Old Testament. And then you can't go wrong with people like Alfred Edersheim. Most people have never heard his name, uh, lived a number of years ago, was a completed Jew, uh, a Messianic believer, trusted in Jesus as his Mashiach, and uh, books like The Life and Times of Jesus and Messiah. And so uh, he wrote a number of books uh, on from a Jewish perspective, mm. and he he clearly covers the issue as well of a Jewish view on Scripture. So there's there's a handful of works, and I've got more, but there's a good place to, to start, um, if you will. But Edersheim, is, his books tend to be massive. Um, uh, but, for example, so his Old Testament Bible history, for example, and then again I mentioned the life and times of Jesus. But Old Testament Bible history definitely deals with, with these issues. Uh, these are books, unfortunately, knowledge has to be passed on. We just kind of assume we know as much or more than our predecessors, previous generations. That's simply not true. Christianity is in one sense, of course it's conversion and regeneration, obviously, but it's it's a cultural dynamic, it's the teaching, and, and we, we are at risk. We assume that the best teachers are alive today. I'm mm-hmm. going to dispute that. Some of the best teachers perhaps lived in, in history past, whether fairly recent or a long time ago, and a lot of our brothers and sisters listening right now have never heard of an Alfred Edersheim. They've never heard of an A.T. Robertson or a Kenneth Wiest, and I could go on and on listening great, awesome uh, Bible scholars, Martin Lloyd-Jones. The list just goes on and on and on, and I'm a bibliophile. I'm repentant and not looking for conversion therapy here. Uh, I'm a bibliophile. I love books. Uh, I'll take electronic books, but I prefer hard copy. Uh, but I believe that there is a danger of, of Christians not knowing our heritage, not knowing, of course, the Word of God, first and foremost, but then the great expositors and teachers of the Word of God, great Christian thinkers, and just so many from so many generations. And many Christians today have never even heard of them, let alone read them. Indeed, it's just like having someone in your family that you can't appreciate if you don't know the history of your own family. Uh, when I when I read about and look at pictures and see notes and everything from my grandmother, great grandmother, even my great grandfather, it's a it's an exciting thing to be able to know what their minds were. Even I didn't even have a chance yeah. to talk with them. It's just exciting. Yeah, to me. you know, it, it, well, yeah. So oh, go ahead, Brian. No, no, it was. Um, uh, I wanted to make the point, what you guys are talking about, about reading your Bible. You know, someone made the remark last week. They said, you know, they said, I see, Brian, what you're saying about if you read the Bible, you're going to have questions. I mean, like even Princess Diana, the first call, she was reading the book of Job and Mm -hmm. had a question on it. I mean, just just a couple verses. You cannot not have questions. Exactly. I hope that double negative makes it means it's positive. Yeah. There we go. By the way, let let me spell Alfred, of course, A-L-F-R-E-D, but Edersheim. I'm about to ask you to spell that. (laughs) Yes. E-D-E-R. E D E R S H E I M. One more time. Edersheim. One more time. E D E R S H E I M. 
That's common spelling. I got that. It's got, I thought it was a different way you spelled it. I just wanted to make sure because sometimes <laughs> I speak quickly, and then I, yes. I hate it when people like people call me and they give me their phone number and, and then it's like five 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 one one. You're like, what? huh? <laughs> and or the name and like I, I I didn't hear you correctly. And or it's just a difficult spelling, so I just Indeed. prefer to stop and and spell it out. Like I appreciate that. that. I I, I do want to say you know the professor you know he he mentions a lot of books, and if you just if you just go to the website, these books are not that expensive. Some of them are just, I mean, bone dry cheap, uh, inexpensive. You know, under and, and under, that's sad in a sense. Under five bucks. That's kind of sad bucks. in a sense. To be honest with you, it's kind of yeah. sad. I mean, pe- people spend more at, at Starbucks, and they, I mean, yeah, I mean, someone who goes to Starbucks almost daily or every other day. Can you imagine the kind of library they can get? With with a lot of the books that are being mentioned, and, and and like the professor said, no, nothing replaces the Bible, but you know it it you know it expounds on uh, whatever the, uh, the 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 chapter and verse is what you're looking at, and they got some great. I mean, the uh, I go to Goodwill. I, I got the professor. Uh, no, this was at uh, Westchester. They have like a book fair every year. Mm-hmm. I got I got the professor this this. Uh, the set it was pretty much in Greek. I, I was looking at it and I go, "It said no, I, I got to give this one to the professor." Why are you didn't give me one? Because they didn't have Greek ebonics. Okay, thank you. And, but it, I mean, I mean, but it, I got it for nickels. I mean, this whole set was like crazy. That's how much you think about you, Greg. No, the uh, no, like the uh, um, Goodwill. Yeah, yeah, we talk about it all the time. Though. I got I got thing. an entire MacArthur set, uh, comedy, like ten bucks, yeah. the whole set. I mean, it's crazy, but it's good. I mean, but even on Facebook, I'm not Facebook, but Amazon, yeah. a lot of these books are, they're, you don't have to get brand new. Even the brand new ones are inexpensive, but if you yeah. get the used ones. We need to put that on our website, yeah. that that's a link and link people all over to those type of things. Yeah. That do. You know, Brian, th- this discussion just warms my heart. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys, though, speaking of resources, I do want to remind folks, Brian's going with me. We're going to, to Nepal, to Kathmandu, we're going to be dealing uh, with our, our brother Krishna and his fellowship, who was one of the first guys that I was involved in training in the TOT, Training of Trainers, almost 10 years ago. Uh, we were bringing people in, in into India, parts of India, from Bhutan, from from Nepal, from Myanmar, and other parts of, of the world in that area, uh, to train them, to further equip pastors, Christian leaders of of. of schools, high schools, colleges, and uh, missionaries. I've had the privilege of training missionaries who are going into the unreached people groups, underreached or unreached, up in in the Himalayas, uh, also down over on the border of Myanmar, and places where, where even I couldn't go, I uh, was not allowed in because of being an, an American, a Caucasian. Uh, it, but the point is, is that Brian's going to be going with me. We're going to be meeting with Love Justice International, the deal with human trafficking, and of course they're all about the gospel and and delivering these girls from sex trafficking. They have authority to arrest, to make arrests on behalf of the government, and they do that at checkpoints, and they. they Literally, you've brought in hundreds of little girls and saved them from sex trafficking and share the gospel with them, give them food, clothing, and many of these ministries have give them an education. They, they share Christianity, of course, but if they reject Christianity, they still want to 
feed them, clothe them, teach them a skill, a trade, so they don't have to go back into this. Because once they're disgraced by being sold into this type of slavery, and it's actually happened, they're often rejected by their tribe, or they're, they're a family, and they've got to have a way to make an income. And you can't just say, well, that's bad, don't do that. But how are they going to make a living? Well, teaching them how to make a living doing various things, such as cooking and other uh, the of course, the hotel industry, uh, tourist industry, is just a vital part of many countries of Asia, Southeast Asia's economy. But we're going to be meeting with a number of ministries of NGOs, non-government organizations, and they're almost all Christian, Christians dedicating to sharing the gospel. Again, meeting with Pastor Krishna and some of his the people of his fellowship who've come out of Hinduism, been heavily persecuted. Uh, this is just a, a, an exciting missions trip, and, and I'm just really pumped. It's been over, not quite three, but pushing three years since I've been out of the country for several reasons, of course, part of the COVID, but there's some other ones. But at any rate, I'm just delighted that Brian's going. We're taking a young man named Sam, who's currently studying for ministry training, working on his theological degrees, and he just has incredible potential. We're de- delighted to take him and some others with us. And folks, you can go with us in this sense, literally, you, by your prayers. And if you are able, financial support. We raise funds, want to pay for, pay for Brian's uh, airfare, for Sam's. There's some lodging expenses and all that. We document, get receipts for everything. We also will give money to orphanages, but in particular to Pastor Krishna's ministry. Their building was destroyed during the earthquake uh, what, a number of years ago. I was there right before that and then right after that and saw what had happened the damage in Kathmandu from that major earthquake. At any rate, we document all the funds, where they go, how the money's spent, so everybody knows exactly where their money went. So we ask that you would donate. You can go with us to your financial donations. And if you're not able, the Lord bless you. Hey, um, pray for us. God will give us an open door, effective ministry. Uh, we won't get in trouble with the authorities. Uh, nobody gets COVID, has to get isolated and stay in the hotel, um, you know, what have you. Uh, there's just a lot of things going on. This is in August, August 12th to the 22nd, kind of a short trip, only 10 days. But it'll be action-packed, and you can be with us. Uh, through your prayers, and if you're able, financial support as we support and help build up the church in Nepal and deal with the plague of human trafficking. So much America, talk, 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 talk. A lot of the things are really superficial. I almost want to say to literally everybody, come with me, and I'll show you what it really looks like, what really goes on, and how prevalent it is, and, and the whole group think, and how it exists, and the whole idea of karma, and that these these girls deserve that. How it was it Mumbai and in India, and I'll be back there. Should be back there in August. I'm excuse me, in October. How the fourth daughter, you're allowed to sell her off into slavery, and and it's almost always sex slavery. I mean, so we have a chance to radically transform the the, the world, and and it's humbling because you see how your brothers and sisters live, the persecution they go through. Let me tell you something. Here's the deal. Nepal, mandatory, automatic five-year prison sentence for sharing the gospel. That's the start. You don't get five max. That's the minimum. So is that what you experience? Is that what you're going through? Is somebody going to put you in jail? Not yet. Look, mm. we need, we need to, to be much more thankful and aware of how much we have to be willing to share spiritually, financially with others, our brothers and sisters, and those who don't know Christ, and particularly unreached people groups. For example, up in the Himalayas, many of the Sherpas. So that's, I always thought a Sherpa was just a person who did uh, help the people, you know, back, packing stuff up. No, that's actually a tribe. Those are actually a, a given indigenous ethnic group there. I learned that on my first missionary trip 
uh, flight, uh, 10-hour, one of the 10, 12-hour legs of the trip, I ended up next to a missionary who spent the bulk of her life raised in India, came to America, and went back as a missionary to to Nepal. Anyways, I'm I'm going long-winded here. Uh, I'm just excited about this. I'm excited that Brian's going and just asking for you guys as you're able financially and prayerfully to stand with us, and we'll hopefully bring you back as much as a report as we can without compromising anybody's safety of what's going on and the difference, and the difference your prayers and financial contribution make. Brian, how could people do this? Real easy, Craig. You can go right to our website. and go to BibleInfoBrokers.com, BibleInfoBrokers.com, click on uh, Support and Donate, and then from there you can designate how you want your donations to be split up. You can go 100% to the radio ministry, 100% to the uh, trip. Uh, you can split it up. You can go, hey, I want 50-50, I want 60-40, however you want to do it. That's between you and the Lord. You just make a notation on there on how you want your donations to be split up. Now, those of you that like to mail in your donation, you can uh, make your check, um, cash your check, money order out to Living by the Word, and you can mail it to P.O. Box 90477-90477 in Los Angeles, California, 90009. And on there, I know some of you... Uh, Put a put a little note in there saying I want fifty percent to go to the radio ministry, fifty percent to go to the uh, Todd trip, uh, or however you want to do it, uh, seventy five, twenty five. However the Lord leads you, just make a notation on there, and those funds will get to those uh, to the, the the proper ministries and the percentages that you designate. So really again, it's it's very easy. Uh, I, I say this every week, and you know. I say it as redundant as eternity is too long to be wrong, but it, from the bottom of my heart, I really, really believe that. And I really, really thank those that give to us, that pray for us, and I really, really thank those. And I, and I say I, all of us, thank you uh, in advance for those that are going to be giving and for those that pray for us. You know, in particular, God knows. God knows, and that's what's so super important about that. Brian being our resident bus driver, Craig, I expect you not to let him drive any buses out there. Please don't let him do that on his maiden voyage and get him back safely. That's all I ask. 888-995-5552, 888-995-5552. Call Eric right now. We have about um, about 20 minutes left on the broadcast, guys. So let's go to David, and he called last week. David, thanks for calling back. David from Hollywood. Yes, thank you, fellas. Uh, my question goes to the book of Revelation uh, and uh, describing Jesus. I believe at the point where he is on a white horse and he is about to uh, re-visit uh, Earth to end the Battle of Armageddon, uh, thereby saving what is left of his human race. And in describing Jesus at this point, John states that Jesus has a name written on his thigh that only he knows. Uh, Could you elucidate on perhaps if there is an answer as to why only Jesus knows that? Uh, Do we know it now? Any indication, fellas? PCH, what about this? Um, you said uh, a name written on Jesus' thigh. 
His thigh, Jesus' thigh. Okay. PCH? Yeah. Yeah, it's from Revelation 19. It's a great question, and, and I'm going to argue there'll be differing views we don't know. For some reason, it's only known to the Father and the Holy Spirit and the Son. And by the way, when it says no one knows, it's the category is, is created beings. No, no created being knows this name. It is for some reason uh, it is it is kept uh, among the Trinity: Father, Son, Holy Spirit, yep. one true Triune God. And so, my view is we don't know this because we know the divine name is given in Exodus three fourteen, Yahweh, which comes from Esher, 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 I am that I am, the Eternal One, the self-existent One. God says that's His name and His name from and for all of eternity. But this is some other name that he has that for, I would argue, my understanding is for various reasons God has not revealed to us. Now, maybe maybe he will someday, Dave. Maybe he will, but my understanding is he is currently has not done this. Because if it was his, the, the tetragrammaton, yad he wah in Hebrew, well, we know what that is. Um, so, so it has to be something else. My understanding is nobody else knows this at the present time, and perhaps because we are his friends, as he calls us, we are adopted family slash friends. Uh, he will he will tell us. Wow, what a great answer, uh, Professor! I truly appreciate that. Uh, other, one other quick question: I had a third, and I forgot about it now. But these are quick ones, uh, <clears throat> fellas. Actually, uh, Daryl Easy D. You started to address this last week, but my phone battery died. Oh man! And therefore, I had to drop out of the conversation. Okay. Uh, the uh, number that has been attributed to this man, the Antichrist, the number being six six six. Fellas, could you present any significance on the number six six six? What does it mean? Uh, anything at all? Very good. We appreciate you, Dave. I'm going to go ahead and take you off the air now and give you that answer as uh, we uh, uh, deal with it, okay? Okay. Appreciate you. Thank you, Dave. Okay, guys, 666, the number of man? Well, that appears to be. It is seven, the number of completion. Mm -hmm. We want to be careful. We're distinguishing between biblical numerics versus numerology. Numerics is biblical. Certain numbers seem to have, in general, kind of standard meanings or significance. Forty is the number of completion or judgment, right? Seven is also the number of perfection, fulfillment. Seven times seven, 49. We see the jubilee year, right? In other words, the forgiving of debt and freeing of individuals. So that's that's numerics. And there's, there's a pamphlet called Biblical Numerics by Oswald T. Alice, A-L-L-I-S, uh, the best treatment I know is fairly small. It's Biblical Numerics by Oswald T. Alice. Numerology is Jewish occultism. Part of it is Kabbalah. That's occultism, and that's forbidden. This is forbidden, as we'd say in German. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> Israel was rebuked for that. Roundly, for example, in Deuteronomy 18, about verses 9 to 14, and yet we see many Jewish people ethnically today messing with that through the Enneagram and, and yoga, astrology, tarot cards, you know, channeling, you know, what have you. Um, but at any rate, so the number 666 represents the system of, of human in, in, in a demonic sense. And, of course, it's not a literal just 666, but somehow it is, 
It is the sum. It, it represents the system. And so, and I'm not saying it's this, but take the QR code. It'd be something like that because it's a system that will identify you with the world and the Antichrist, but it has to be able to distinguish among people. I mean, you can't buy if everybody has the same, you know, a tattoo 666 mm-hmm. on you. But the, the QR codes, of course, can be differentiated, if you will. And those could, and you could even put those in a chip and put it in someone's forehead uh, and on their hand or right hand or what have you, as the Bible says. So uh, I'll be honest, I don't think I have any significant insights other than that it represents the system of the Antichrist it represents wor- the world in its uh, worst sense, uh, the baseness, the followedness, the hubris, the pride of human thinking we are God or can be like God or even above God. And that's what the devil, we believe, has basically said he wants to do, be like the Most High, be, indeed be above him. I'll pass uh, you, for example, in Ezekiel and Isaiah. And, and, but this is going to be his system. And, you know, it's, it's frightening to me because we're there. Uh, I, I was watching a special on China. I've seen this several times, uh, at documentaries like this, where many people don't even use cash. They they do facial recognition. Mm. and and But if they get in trouble with the government, let's say they go to an underground church and they're not supposed to, they can get arrested, or they have a Bible, mandatory three years in jail for having an unauthorized Bible, translation one that they didn't make, with taking out a lot of significant details, of course, of the Word of God. Uh, then they they cut you off. They shut down your, your, your electronically, digitally your account. It's not even like Bitcoin or whatever. They don't even have to do that. It's just it's 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 digitally monetized. The, the banking, a lot of it is online, and it's done by these computers doing doing the facial scan. Uh, so this technology to shut people down and that is here. The cashless society, which isn't wrong per se, but I, I believe will be misused by the Antichrist. We can see it now where if you don't... How many times do I go to places they don't even take cash anymore? You have to have a debit card. You have to have a credit card. And, and even that can be stolen. We're moving towards a cashless society, the handwriting's on the wall, uh, toward, and towards some type of digitized program, and literally the government can shut you down if you don't have the mark, you don't have somehow the the technology, whether it's a QR code or something like that embedded in you, you will not be allowed to buy or sell. That world is already here. Been here for a while, gentlemen, and I'll say this. Somebody say this. I saw a documentary regarding this TikTok and all these other social media things where China's in control and people uh, put their information all on these things. I'm not yeah. I'm not a conspiracy theorist in regards to that because I use mm-hmm. the internet quite a bit. I believe God is still the God that we can trust and take care of us and will take care of us through all of our trials and tribulations. We're supposed to cast our cares upon him. So when we have more cares, the more things we're dealing with, it's the same God. It's the same God that loves us. Yeah, we go through some things, but they go through things with the uh, with the assurity of victory. Ultimately, I go through a little bit easier for myself. No, no I, I totally agree with that. It, it's something, yes, you need to be smart, but you can't just stop living, too. Indeed, indeed. So, well, mm-hmm. here's one of the things we can't stop living about. We only have about, uh, say, about 10 minutes left, guys, and we have the final question I may do because it may take, like, four or five minutes, six minutes to deal with this mm-hmm. question. But it's coming from well, a By the way, field. is Brian saying, I'm sorry, Gerald, is Brian saying we can't go off the grid? I'm going to leave that grit 
Boy, see, look, you got to leave this bus driver alone, Craig. Don't, don't start him up. Don't, don't let him start his engines up on us, okay? Because we want to get to this last question. Because I'm the trainer now. <laughs> I'm, I'm the trainer. <laughs> and T.O.T. doesn't mean training that mildly that long. Um, you know what? I'll tell you driver. what. We're going to deal with the, uh, the Roe versus Wade issue. Mike said he's going to call in next week. So what I'll do is I'll go ahead and take the last caller here, Joe from Hawthorne. Well, but, Phil, Reverend Phil had a question. Yeah, I know, then. but he has a question very similar to the one right. Mike's going to be dealing with next week, which is Roe versus Wade. So we'll deal with all mm. that. Let's take Joe for calling in. Maybe this will be the last caller. Oh. If not, we'll start the Roe versus Wade and finish up with Mike calls back next week. Because Mike was a first-time caller, by the way. But Joe from Hawthorne, you may be the final caller today. Let's talk about what your issue. What's your question tonight, Joe? And welcome to the broadcast. Hi, thanks. Uh, yeah, I had a question on anger, uh, specifically uh, two verses. Uh, the first one, Colossians three eight, mm-hmm. says, "But you must also now rid yourselves of all such things as these: anger, rage, malice, etc." Uh, that makes it sound like uh, one should not. If ang- the anger is a sin, the second verse, Ephesians four twenty six says, in your anger, do not sin, which seems to imply that it's possible to be angry without sinning. So I was wondering uh, how to reconcile those two and what to do. Okay, that's that's an excellent question, Joe. I'm going to throw this one word out there and let Brian and Professor handle it. I'm going to throw out righteous indignation. And in my righteous indignation, I find myself being very angry, but yet... Like you just said in Ephesians, I'm not going to sin. And one of the things I, I deal with all the time is people, I don't forgive them unless they repent. But if they don't repent, I'm not God to seek any kind of revenge. So there you go. I can still be angry without sinning because I'm not God. I don't seek to do any kind of vengeful, nothing towards anybody that don't repent. I just simply don't forgive them and move on my life and tear up at the next hole, Ryan. I know you appreciate that comment. Very funny. Anyway, uh, First of all, you know, let's look at Christ as an example. You know, when he saw what they were doing uh, at the temple, you know, he was turning over, uh, you know, everything, money changers and everything else. And people could say, well, he was angry, but he did not sin based on, you know, basically what Daryl was just saying. Um, I guess sometimes I use it as an excuse. I, I say I'm passionate and it comes across as anger and you know, if if that's told to me, then I have to, I have to check myself because I do believe that I am being passionate, and in that passion, it sounds like I'm angry mm. because my voice gets higher, and almost like a coach, you know, uh, you know, <laughs> they uh, or or a player, seriously, or a fan in the stands watching their kids play, exactly. <laughs> so my point is, you can be loud and. Uh, boisterous but at the same time it could be because of passion and so i you know you have to ask yourself is that being angry or so peace i'm sorry no but but again you know i i take christ as as a as a prime example of someone who was angry but he didn't sin indeed we have four minutes left pch i'm going to ask you to to give your examples or give your talk about it but don't use any example about on the road if you could do that greg limit yourself to anything else in the world except using car examples yeah well that's definitely one for me but a couple things here by the way i know we're going to talk about roe v wade next week we need to because this is just incredibly important and we need to be as christians to be in prayer this is not resolved people think like oh it's, it's yes. now illegal no it's at the state's level yeah. i mean we're but, at any rate, <laughs> but i want to come back to the question here so 
A contradiction is a statement that cannot be true in the same time or same sense. But the word anger has many different senses, like the word jealousy. So if, if, if one's talking about being jealous in the sense of possessive and paranoid about one's spouse or a significant other and, you know, being even, you know, harming that person or others because you think that they're being unfaithful to you, I mean, that's wrong. That's insanity. That's bad. But there is a godly jealousy where one is jealous of your children if somebody abuses one of my kids or is disrespectful of them or harms them. I'm jealous over them. I want what's best for them. Hopefully not blind. Uh, so it is with anger. So orge is the main word in Greek for anger, for example. So we're not to fly off in a, in a rage, in a fit of rage, uh, losing our temper. But there is, as it has been mentioned, indeed you mentioned it, as Paul says, be you angry and sin not. There is an appropriate anger. Look, if I would see somebody hit a child in a crosswalk and drag them 100 feet under their car and then back up and go forward, back up and go forward till the child becomes dislodged and then takes off, I'm going to be indignant. I'm going to be outraged. And well, I should be. So there's a time and a place for anger. And sometimes it's actually a sin not to be angry over injustice, over, we're talking about human trafficking, of trafficking the little girls as young as five years old. If that doesn't outrage somebody, then there's something wrong with them. But the anger that's forbidden is the just flying off the handle. We use a, a number of idioms here. Uh, flying off the handle, a fit of rage, uh, I just start, you know, and, and I lose my temper, and I'm inappropriate. In other words, the emotion should match the situation. There's a time and a place to be angry, but even then, it has to be appropriate to the circumstances. I see some thugs beating up a 95-year-old old lady to get her money. I'm going to be angry, but I shouldn't be, you know, cussing out my neighbor or the person in the car next to me because they made a mistake or otherwise. So there's different senses of anger, and some are actually commanded and some are forbidden, just like sex, let me use uh, sexual relations. In marriage, it is commanded. It is it's godly. It's ordained and blessed by God. Outside of marriage, it is forbidden and results in horrific consequences. So it's the context here and how it's being done and used. So anger can be appropriate and it can be a sin. It depends on the circumstances. Joe, excellent question. We're coming to the close of the broadcast. Yeah, we only have helps, about, yeah, we only have about 45 seconds, guys. So take 15 seconds each, make a final thought. We'll close out, and Lord willing, be back next week. Uh, for those of you that don't know Christ, I, I want you to think of your eternity um, because you're not going to be here forever. And whenever you leave this earth, you're going to be in eternity, one place or another. So remember that eternity is too long to be wrong. PCH, please. Test all things, hold fast to that which is good, and I hope that you'll consider prayerfully supporting us, the program, the trip, the missions trip to Nepal. And if not minimally your prayers, we cover your prayers. Thank you. Indeed, guys, listen, if you've listened to this broadcast for the first time, I've been listening for 23-plus years that we've been on. We really appreciate you. We we solicit your prayers like PC has just said. You need to support ministries. You need to take what God's put in your trust and care as a believer. And even if you're an unbeliever, you send that money in is also because you just want to help out just because you, you want to. We really appreciate that. But believers, you need to consider what God has given you and consider how you can go on these trips. Vicariously, yes, but through your giving, that we uh, will give you rewards in heaven 
I'm most sure of that. So please take an opportunity to use God's money wisely. So on behalf of the whole team, Brian, PCH, Eric, Jared, thank you very much. My name is Daryl E.D. Fulton, Mama Grace, and Big Daddy's Baby Boy saying, if the Lord is willing, we will be back next week with more of the Bible Information Brokers. Like I said, if the Lord is willing. <laughs>